What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, the Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose podcast right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Our podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Bauer is off and about today. Obviously, we're now, I don't even know what it is, day 19, day 20 of this war of good and evil, this war of barbarism versus civilization. I'm speaking to you from Tel Aviv, where I've been for the past several weeks. This is a war of Iran against the world, against civilization, against the West, against America, certainly against Jews, and even against insufficient Muslims. I don't know what it is. There's something about the left, even about liberals still, that just can't abide the thought that anyone can ever be motivated by anything other than their own material interest that there's no one that can't be negotiated with? Because, you see, everybody in the end is reasonable, which might explain this utter cognitive uh, disease of renewed talk about a two-state solution after the worst massacre since the Holocaust, when you have leaders of the supposedly moderate Fatah, which is the PLO, the PA, as opposed to Hamas, all celebrating the massacre. I've got quotes. I've got a list of quotes of, of uh, uh, half an arm long of pro-Hamas, pro-genocide tweets and statements from members of the Palestine National Executive Committee, the governing body of the PA. But it's not reported because we cannot process that some people you can't negotiate with because on the left, you see, everybody in the end is reasonable. Evil doesn't exist. There's no such thing as evil. There are only material processes. And if we just offer enough, the other side will become amenable to negotiation because the left, and when I say the left, I'm also including some liberals. Many have seen the light We'll figure out in the days, months, and years ahead how long uh, it stays light before they go dark again. But they can't deal with a movement or a people that have been motivated by anything other than material processes, i.e. land or money or space. They can't process that these monsters, these murderers, truly believe they're doing God's work. And they won't accept the notion that in some circumstances, war, as bad as it is, is the only way to fight evil. The left just won't believe that. They can't accept it. They won't do it. 
But it's true. Sometimes war is the least bad way to defeat evil because they don't believe in evil. They believe that at the very most, there's a, a huge conflict of interests that can, if you try hard enough, if you appease hard enough, if you sate uh, uh, enough, if you negotiate enough, if you offer enough, they'll come around. My sense is that that notion is now gone. At least in Israel, it's certainly gone. Because even here, it's difficult to accept the notion that there are people who have been working since the 7th century to obliterate all enemies of Islam from the face of the earth. And the biggest, most immediate enemy of Islam, in their view, is right here in the state of Israel. Because you have a Jewish state in the midst of the Muslim world. And if your goal for the past 14 centuries has been to fight and destroy the enemies of Islam, obviously you go for the low-hanging fruit. Even Israelis have a hard time accepting that. I've got to be honest, I have a hard time accepting that because it is such a depressing reality. It's so daunting of a concept to realize that an entire civilization, parts of which are animated by these fanatic devotees of martyrdom, of jihad, of death. And this can happen at the very... Two things were happening at the same time. And it just goes to show that if you're in your own... And I'm guilty of this as anyone. If you're inside your own bubble, so to speak, uh, you can become blinded to anything outside that bubble. I in the last couple of years, I've given a bunch of speeches and talked on the radio a great deal about what I thought was, and I still think it to an extent, was the most unique moment in the 4,000-year history of the Jewish people, that we'd never been, never been stronger before, never, been, um, never had better friends, greater friends than before. This notion that in the 4,000-year history of the Jewish people, we'd never been stronger, we'd never been more prosperous, and we'd never been more secure. And of course, one element of that was totally and completely shattered on October 7. If there was a purpose, a meaning to the existence, the foundation, the creation of the State of Israel, it was the, the commitment that this would be the ultimate safe place for Jews, that Jews would be able to live in their own land, protected by the sword and shield of the IDF, the Israel Defense Force. And in six hours, eight hours, ten hours, that was blown apart. So there's this duality of emotion here that, um, first of all, there's enormous fear about what exactly is America up to? What are Joe Biden's intentions? What are the Americans doing here? What's their plan? And it's combined with this equally powerful, incredible appreciation and love, enormous appreciation for American support. But the question I have, and I don't know the answer to this, the same Joe Biden that 
now defends Israel so articulately. I mean, his words have been great. Until three weeks ago, was the same guy that was empowering Israel's greatest enemy, civilization's greatest enemy, and weakening Israel by enriching Iran, lifting sanctions, transferring billions of dollars, not enforcing sanctions, allowing uh, ballistic missile restrictions uh, to expire at the same time this massacre that they organized, refusing to acknowledge that Iran had any role in it. Um, And it begs the question, uh, what's going on here? Has this been a a complete about-face for Joe Biden? Has he suddenly seen the light? Has the administration suddenly seen the light? And they've recognized how disastrous uh, the Iran policies of his administration, of the Obama administrations. Uh, uh, that, with Obama, it was a fetish to not only appease Iran, but to align with Iran. Um, Biden comes in. He tries desperately to do another deal with this uh, Nazi terror state that would allow it to get nuclear weapons just a little later. Um, and this is all done by none other than the president who now is expressing such amazing support for Israel rhetorically. So you've got great hopes, great reassurance, great sympathy. At the same time, you've got suspicion and fear about what's America doing here in this part of the world? What is the objective of this massive display of U.S. naval power in the Eastern Mediterranean and the Persian Gulf. I tell you what worries me. What worries me is Joe Biden's lack of, a, of, of, of any deterrent precedent. He's, he talks deterrence, but he's never shown any of it. Quite the contrary. He's a capitulator. He's a surrenderer. He's an escape artist. He abandons Afghanistan. He announces this massive pivot to the Indo-Pacific, which to date has resulted in one Marine Brigade deployed to Australia. He's enriched and enabled Iran for two and a half years. We have a wide open border. Seven million, eight million, who even knows how many illegals have crossed our border? Who who, Who even knows what percent of those mean us ill as opposed to well? So, this, this U.S. presence here, you see, if you don't demonstrate and prove that you're willing to go to war against a proclaimed or perceived enemy, your show of force doesn't mean anything. Deterrence, the only way deterrence can work is if the enemy believes you're truly committed to use the forces that you've assembled. And for them to believe it, you have to mean it. And I don't think Biden means it, which puts the U.S. at great peril. Iran has spent decades, decades, developing very sophisticated, high-technology, anti-ship ballistic missiles, uh, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. They've got a huge arsenal. 
there's people think of war in conventional terms. This is the first time Israel has faced an existential war that doesn't include conventional armies. Tanks and armored brigades and APCs and heavy artillery, that's not what this war is about. This is Iran. Iran sees this from an ideological perspective as their best and maybe last chance to destroy the state of Israel, not by invading and conquering, but by obliterating it through all of its proxies. Hezbollah has 150,000, we think, 150,000 mortars and rockets that they've been accumulating for the past 30 years on Israel's northern border. And for that, every Israeli government, left, right, and center, has been responsible because it's been happening right under their very noses. And Iran, a very sophisticated ballistic missile program, a very sophisticated drone program, they've got highly accurate uh, continental ballistic missiles, CBMs, more short range, that have ranges up to 1,500 miles, about 2,500 kilometers, almost 3,000 kilometers. We've got two huge carrier task forces within range. Is that going to deter Iran, or does it tempt Iran, because if they don't believe Joe Biden's deterrent posture, why the heck wouldn't they target a carrier? And we know we've got anti-missile systems that are effective, the Aegis system, the Patriot system, Iron Dome, David's Sling, Iron Beam. We've got a whole host of anti-missile technologies that work Very, very uh, impressively, but not 100% of the time. They don't work 100% of the time. So we've got our ships in harm's way. We're not absolutely certain that a carrier couldn't be struck effectively and destroyed by Iran if we engage Iran. That's why I don't think it's necessarily wise for the U.S. to be here. I really don't. Because if, if this is just Iran versus Israel, nobody's coming to Iran's help. No one's going to help Iran. Iran will be exposed very quickly to have no allies. The Russians aren't going to lift a finger. The Chinese sure as hell aren't going to lift a finger if it's Israel and Iran. But if the U.S. gets involved, if the Iranians, now that they've got all these sitting ducks sitting in, in, the, in the Gulf and here in the Eastern Med... If they're not attempting enough target, we've seen, as of this taping, 99 armed attacks by Iranian proxies on U.S. forces in the Middle East since Joe Biden took office, and there have been six responses to 99 armed attacks. And you're getting up in the morning and you're reading your paper and you're reading about the U.S. attack against the two Syrian targets. You know, we're really showing Iran. They were unmanned empty warehouses used to store Iranian weapons in transit from Iran to Hezbollah in Lebanon. So 21 Americans since the October massacre, 21 Americans and contractors and and other nationals that work at U.S. military facilities have been injured in 16 Iranian proxy attacks Since the October massacre, 16, and this is the first time Joe Biden responds, and he responds by hitting a couple of ammunition sheds that are unmanned. 
because God forbid you hurt anybody. So this scares me. It scares me. Because if the U.S. gets involved, then Iran does have allies. Then Iran does have friends. If Iran successfully, God forbid, hits a U.S. facility or, God forbid, sinks any of these ships in either of these two carrier battle groups, even Joe Biden will have to respond. And once Joe Biden responds, then all bets are off. Then Russia might feel it has to come in in some way. And China, what China really wants, in my opinion, is oil. And I don't, they're not going to stick their neck out unless or until they really see they have an opportunity. America gets bogged down in a horrible war in the Middle East. You know, we can hardly field the forces we need to meet this one contingency. And if I were Xi Jinping and I was, you know, committed to reconquering Taiwan, I would think it'd be the best time I could imagine to do that. Because the U.S. would be so distracted, so leaderless. I don't even know what U.S. policy is. So is it that this pogrom came and everybody woke up? Suddenly they realized what we're up against? Is it possible that the administration knew that if it didn't wholeheartedly support Israel, it was going to be blamed for creating the the environment that allowed the massacre by enriching the forces of Iran that coordinated the massacre, that funded it, that supported it. We now know that 500 of these terrorists were trained as recently as last month in Iran to commit this heinous act. Or is it a combination of both? I mean, that's what I think. The whole thing is a mishmash. Some people in the White House think one way, some think the other, and who the hell knows what Biden thinks. So I have no idea what's going on. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. But the worst of the fallout, at least in Israel, is that Israelis, not only is everybody here just almost traumatized to the point of numbness over the sheer savagery and scope of the attack, and this might explain the quote-unquote delay in the onset of significant Israeli ground operations in Gaza, the country has lost tremendous confidence, not just in the government, but most alarmingly in the IDF itself. That it took hours, you know, for the IDF to even get there has shocked the country. And I think the government, this new emergency war government, is as aware of that as anybody could be, and that's why there is a prolonged period between the pogrom, the massacre, the genocide, and a coordinated, structured Israeli response because they don't want to screw it up. They can't screw it up. And if they do, they're gone. They're gone anyway. I mean, this government is finished. Netanyahu, uh, after this war, uh, will certainly be replaced. If he doesn't resign, he'll be voted out of office. There's no question about that. I just saw a poll the other day. His approval rating is at about 18%. Um, he did give a great speech the other night when uh, he announced, he, he reasserted again what Israel's war aims are, and that is the total destruction of Hamas, because you can't live next to uh, an armed state that is committed to the murder of everyone in your country. Back to the U.S., if we started to fear that Iran 
would have the ability to take out one of our ships to protect force protection. If we moved our ships out of what we thought was comfortable, reasonable range, it would be out of the Persian Gulf. It'd be south, somewhere in the Indian Ocean, and then the Eastern Med, the the carrier battle group dominated by the uh, USS Ford, which has now been uh, seconded to the Seventh Fleet. It's under the command of the Seventh Fleet in Italy. That would have to move way west. And then you're in a situation where if they actually hit pay dirt, the Iranians, and we do want to respond, our, you know, these fighter squadrons on these carriers wouldn't have the range to uh, drop payloads or fire their standoff weapons and get back to the carrier because they don't have enough fuel. So they'd have to land in Israel to refuel. And what would Iran do? I mean, Iran has these precise, very large, devastating ballistic missile conventional capacities that were capabilities that we're aware of. Uh, 2,000 ton, uh, or 2,000 pound rather, uh, missiles with 2,000 pound explosives, which is 100 times the size of any of these rockets that are coming in, most of the rockets coming in from, from Hamas or Hezbollah. Hezbollah obviously has very powerful weapons, but they haven't used them yet. But these things are 100 times more powerful than anything Hamas has been firing. The five, six, seven thousand 7,000 rockets it's fired indiscriminately at Israel since the October massacre. What would be the first infrastructure target that Iran would go after? It'd go after the airfields in Israel. So our fighter planes couldn't land here because the Israelis would be too busy trying to patch up the runways after these massive precision strikes if any of the air defense systems don't work. And the air defense systems are remarkable. They're miraculous, but they're not 100%. And they're easy, as we saw on 10-7, they're easy, it's easy to overwhelm. When Hamas launched, I think that day, 3,500, 3,500 rockets, projectiles, mortars. It overwhelmed Iron Dome. Iron Dome did not have the capacity to meet a threat of that size and scope simultaneously. So, I don't want to be too negative. Let me wrap it up on this. Yes, there's despair here in Israel. There's confusion. There's great concern about what America's intentions are. I America doesn't need to. Be, America needs to support Israel, provide it with its um, the munitions it needs, um, the the material support it needs. But America does not need to get involved in this war. Israel is not Ukraine. Israel is a strong, powerful country that is now as united in this absolutely incredible national spirit in which the public is pulling together in a way that's absolutely unprecedented. Remember, the IDF called up uh, about 320,000 reservists. 400,000 showed up. So the Army had this immediate problem of having 80,000 returning reservists that weren't called up, weren't expected, weren't needed, weren't even wanted. They got to be outfitted with kit. They got to be trained. This Reserve call-up was oversubscribed by almost 30%. So the extent to which everyone is looking out for everyone here is just, just amazing. It's the most heartening, 
uplifting, ennobling thing I've ever seen. So it's a, it's a muddle. It's a mess. Um, a lot of confusion, a lot of concern, a lot of hope, a lot of optimism, a lot of reassurance, and a renewed belief that we here now in Israel are up against an absolute unalloyed evil that must be eradicated. And the greatest expression of that, the greatest commitment of that, isn't coming from the right in Israel, it's coming from the left. Almost as though they, they're like new converts. You know how new converts, well, I can only speak for Jews, but new converts to Judaism are oftentimes the most, you know, uh, committed or exuberant or even uh, fanatic as, you know, native-born Jews, or born Jews, shall I say. That's what we're seeing here. So in the end, uh, pray for us. Pray for America. Pray for resolution on behalf of the president. I don't know what he's up to. I don't know if he knows what he's up to. But uh, it's going to be a tough, tough, tough couple of weeks. This is Tom Rose. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast, the Bauer and Rose show. We're back uh, in a couple of days. We're here several times a week. You can catch us on Sirius XM, The Patriot, channel 125. And wherever you get your podcasts, we're also hosted online by our good friend John Solomon at justthenews.com. Have a great day, everybody.